Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. All right, let's talk about training. Uh, we're going to be at HITS in Scottsdale, Arizona this year, 2020, August 18th through the 21st. Eric and I are actually going to be instructing. Uh, so head over to HITS K9, letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. Don't wait till the last minute like I know all of you people do. Head over and get signed up now before the prices increase. RayAllen.com. If you own a dog, train dogs of any sort, pet dogs, working dogs, any dog you could have, RayAllen.com, one-stop shop for anything you need. Stick around during the podcast. Listen for the discount codes, RayAllen.com, best in the business. Yeah, one of our favorite partners who signed on for the rest of this year is Dogtra. Uh, excellent remote collars and the ball trainer. I got like four of those things at the kennel. They're awesome. Popper and a dropper. I've got the Pro and the first version. Um, and one of my favorites is the 1900S. Head over to Dogtra.com and check out everything they got. And then listen in the, in the middle of the episode for the discount code. If you want a great dog, great training, and want to go hang out in Florida and do all that, especially in the wintertime, our great friends at Southern Coast Canine, uh, they're amazing down there. They've been doing it a long time. they got single-purpose, dual-purpose trainer schools, handler schools, admin schools down in the Daytona, Florida area, southerncoastcanine.com. And one of our favorite 501s is the guys from Georgia Canine Foundation. After dogs retire, there's a lot of associated costs, and the departments generally don't cover those. It's on the handler to, to cover that. Those guys at the Georgia Police Canine Foundation take care of those dogs post-retirement. Head over to the website, check it out, buy some T-shirts, and donate some money, and take care of the dogs after they get done working. So if you uh, want a kennel, you want to be in a kennel business or you have one you need to expand, horizonstructures.com is amazing. They will show up at your place, prefab, pre-built kennel, plug it into your sewer, into your water, into your power, on your property, drop it, hook up, put dogs in it that day. It's amazing, horizonstructures.com. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. With me, as always, from Canton, Ohio, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Um, it's uh, freezing cold, and um, the last week of my handler school that I'm doing. Uh, it's certification test this Friday, so this week is just running through it ad nauseum. It's a green handler, so he's nervous. So, you know, just doing all that crap um they, they always get worried that's during, it yeah they always get worried right before certification for the green ones and then you tell them the shit i've been having you do for like a month is way harder than anything you're about to do and they're like oh I, I, i'm like and then they're, they always get done what do they say oh that wasn't so bad <laughs> it was easy <laughs> yeah, yeah no I, usually I, once I thought, they yeah <laughs> they like, oh, get a first I, couple I things in they're good yeah they they're usually the way we do it here is um we hit obedience first, then probably articles, tracking, and then the first series of dope hides. Once that's done, they start to calm down and relax. And then um, usually then we do uh, maybe an area search with a bite or, or head over to a building and do the building dope and building and they, they start getting it. And then the very last thing is the recall and the out and they're super nervous. They stand there like they're a Hitler youth, like at this, you know, <laughs> super, super attention move. And it's like, dude, relax. 
Calm down. You're do- We've done 9,000 recalls. You're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. You've seen this dog recall nine. Yeah, exactly. We we run through that a lot. Plus, Ohio know. lets you use your e-collar. So yeah. what the fuck are you worried about? Oklahoma doesn't have a patrol a certification, so I send my guys an app water USPCA. But um, uh, the detection standard, you can wear one. Of course, we don't use an e-collar during detection anyway. But, um, yeah, you can leave them on, and you just have to give the remote to the evaluator or something, right? Yeah, no, not in Ohio. You don't. Um, It's up to the evaluator. Most of them just leave it. If you wear it on the street, you can wear it in the certification. Oh, damn. And and use it. Yeah. Now, the guy who's running the certification Fridays, a guy I've known for a long time, the last time he did one for me, he held the remote. So it was no big deal. The dogs were fine. And this dog will be fine, too. But um, he might do that again. I don't know. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah, we don't have... The handler will shit himself when he hands over <laughs> that fucking remote, though. It's going to be great. Uh, we don't have a whole lot going on. They like calm down. Get cal- oh, yeah, well. Oh, yeah. We got a dog going home tomorrow uh, to a department in Missouri. Uh, they're coming to pick him up. Uh, yeah. Um, outside of that, we got a couple of green dogs getting ready to start again. Uh, or I'm just getting ready to start them. I got a trainer school starting. or One just finished, one halfway done, and I got a new one starting... Uh, with our buddy Travis Lax is going to be here with me for like 20 weeks or something. So that starts probably, he's supposed to be here any minute. Uh, starts next week though. So yeah, other than that, just more stuff, more training dogs. That's it. Yeah. We uh, leave Sunday for Memphis. The yep, next HRD right. kicking off uh, uh, 2020 uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. That should be good. I'm hoping it's fucking it. Dude, it was 15 this morning. Yeah. It's got to be warmer in Memphis. It's got to be. It I is. can't. They have good barbecue. I'm flying so south to be just as cold. <laughs> they have good barbecue. It'll be worth it. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we do a lot, um, you know, constantly a lot of the dogs that I bra- breed and raise here at Torchlight, um, I start all of them on clickers or on marker training. Um it's something that I can tell um, in a dog, like the final product when a dog is mature, um, that that dog is substantially easier to train. Um, to train and is is easier to handle. Now, whether the handler actually knows what happens or not, I'm not really sure. But um, I spend a substantial amount of time raising puppies and young green dogs um, and teaching them clicker training um, or what we now call marker training. One of the things that you've... And I have talked about a lot that we both do um, is marker stuff, but it's still kind of, um, I don't want to say frowned upon, but it, it, I think it's misunderstood in the canine, the police canine industry. Um, what do you think? Oh, 100%. I, a lot of times when you're talking, and, and listen, I, I come from a, where I was taught originally, there was we didn't know anything about markers. You know, uh, we've said before that we probably were using markers. Um, the way we were doing it was, if I think back to it, the ball was actually a marker because it would, you know, say you were just teaching the dog to down and you're like, you know, plots. And as soon as the dog's elbows hit, you're banging them with a, with a ball. So you're probably, we probably were marking it, at least with our movements and then reward. But, um, you talk to a lot of guys and, and you mentioned marker or clicker, you might as well be talking, uh, in Mandarin Chinese, yeah. um, they act like they don't know. They don't want to know. Um, but one of the things that that they don't understand is how much easier their life will be 
Yes. If they try it and then learn it and delve into it and like really immerse themselves into it. And it, it's amazing what we can do in all aspects. Most people think of marker training. They just think of um, obedience. Right. Um, and we'll, we're going to get into a, lo- a lot more of that tonight with our guest, but um, <clears throat> it's definitely not just for obedience and it's, I've used no. it for um, obedience. I've used it for uh, imprinting odor, um, starting for, as you call shapes away from boxes onto, you know, desk drawers and shit like that. Right. I've used it for um, outing, um, yep. uh, articles, everything, pretty much every aspect. Yeah. So, you know, I've wanted to have this guest on for a while. He was actually on the short list because um, I think, what is it? February 13th makes marks our two year anniversary of working dog radio. Yep. And um, this dude has been on my short list for, two years or longer than that. Cause I started planning episodes, you know, like six or eight months beforehand. Um, and I've just never, we've never had anything come up that was like that, I, that I thought would be, you know, appropriate for this guy to come on and talk about. Um, so when I reached out to him, he was in Australia and managed to not get burned up, um, while he was down there. And, uh, as soon as he got back into the country, he was like, all right, let's do it. So tonight we have on, uh, Dave Croyer, Dave, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Doing well. So um, I obviously know who you are, and I'm familiar with you. A lot of the people listening are, um, especially on the sports side. Um, you have a super long and successful career in ring, and I'm just going to put it under a big umbrella of Schutzen, IPO, some version of a hard-sleeve sport. Um, right, whatever you want to call it nowadays. <laughs> I have lost like, and people get fucking mad at me and they're like, that's not called that anymore. I'm like, well, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I get it. I know. I'm sorry. But like, so, I mean, dating back to like 2000 ish, you were, um, competing at a fairly high international level. Um, and you know, you're really well known for, um, sport work, but you also, uh, I've actually read, uh, case law, um, from the fifth circuit where you were a, uh, SME on some of that right. stuff. So yeah, you but, definitely yeah, the most know. of them probably didn't end well, but yeah. Least, <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, so you definitely understand the police side. You've worked with the police, you've contracted or you've consulted with the 341st. And so, you know, I, I want everyone listening to see how for, especially for the patrol guys and for the police dog handlers and for some of the SAR people, like how we're going to kind of, marry this and kind of talk about this and kind of for or it kind of feed it towards the working dog side because a lot of the sport people are going to listen to this and be like well shit this is already what i do i know how to do this um hopefully you'll pick up some new stuff um so you know give a little fill in some of the holes on your resume a little bit that i probably skipped over um and then we'll pick up from there yeah uh you know i obviously i've been involved in sport since um uh, probably well, 1999, 2000, right around there. I think I made my first world team with one of my first IPO dogs, probably around 2000. Well, if I look at my trophies on the wall or the posters, maybe 2001, 2002. Um, I've been on 14 world championship teams with probably five, six different dogs since then um, in either IPO, Schutzund, or um, ring sport. Um, now, that being said, what a lot of people don't realize is probably from, from 2000, when, when I started my career as a dog trainer, 
up until maybe a few years ago, I was actually tra actively training police dogs. I don't talk about it a lot, and, and I'm not involved in it so much anymore. But the reality is I'm not involved with a hell of a lot anymore because I'm freaking trying to retire. That's the honest <laughs> God, truth. Why don't you ask Eric so, how I that mean, works? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my trainer that works for me today, he's like, yeah, I just got a call from Williamson County about a couple dogs. I'm like, dude, I don't want to fucking deal with that. I'm not in the mood, man. Like, I'm normally done working by 11 in the morning. I go mountain biking. I'm like, you can take them if you're going to feed them, if you're going to do everything, and you're taking the guys with certification. Personally, I don't want to fucking touch the dogs, but I have, in, I have been involved. Um, I, I did a lot of training for dogs when the big contract craze happened after 9-11, all the right. way up to relatively recent with, you know, uh, Patriot Group, and even worked with Mike Ritland a couple of years back, getting his uh, contract stuff off the ground. And so I've, I've been involved in all that stuff. Um, you know, had to do the, the shitty North test like everybody. I've, I've been through it all. I just I just don't talk about a lot of this stuff anymore. Kind of brings right. up bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So believe me, Eric and I have talked about the North test at uh, ad nauseum here and off mic yeah. with some of our other guests. So I know it is what it is, and it's, you know. We're stuck with it. It ain't going nowhere. Yeah, so. yeah no. <laughs> and, it, and it's nothing that, like, I, I have no, like, I, I got into dog training because I loved, you know, working dogs and that whole the police dog side. But, you know, from a business standpoint, you guys know you're deep in the trenches. It's hard, man. You're, you're securing young green dogs. You've got to get, you know, health vetted out. You can't make, you know, you get a really good dog, but it don't fit the green handler or a dog maybe didn't turn out right. You had to wash them or lo and behold, um, you know, uh, uh, the government or a, an agency's late with payment and that yeah you know the whole deal it's, it's oh yeah it can be a head it can be a headache well we tell people Actually, that all the time all, all of all of dogs can be a headache so yeah. yeah if all i had to do every day was literally just like scoop poop and work a leash my life would be fucking fantastic exactly. unfortunately like, dude i <laughs> i love that, fucking that ain't scooping poop that ain't what you happens. Know, I, go, so. I love going back in the kennel, turning the radio on. Just leave me alone. I can scoop poop. Then, you know, give me dogs to train. Nobody talk to me, and, and I'm happy. But unfortunately, yeah. you guys know, and I know that's not the reality of, of a professional dog trainer. But, yeah, no. um, I've been involved with all this stuff for a long time. Um, you know, very experimental with my training over the last we're, – we're, we're going on 20 years now. Um, you know, I've been through all the different – fads and phases of everything um and you know he, here i am today um honestly the more and more i know i realize i realize i i know not a lot so <laughs> it's been an interesting journey right so kind of in that vein um you know we're going to talk about because i figure we could talk about all kinds of crazy shit with you but um we're going to kind of narrow it down a little bit and we're going to talk about um marker training for police dogs um when i say police dogs it. we're talking about explosives narcotics um some sort of detection plus tracking and then apprehension as well um so for the sport people you're gonna pick up some stuff hopefully uh for my canine handlers that are listening to this that have just gone to a school or say you're a relatively new um handler and you went to a large vendor um you were in a giant class with you know people you were there for you know eight ten twelve weeks whatever it is 
and you kind of start with a semi-green dog and finish him off, there's not a lot of what you're about to hear that goes into it. Whether you know that you have done what is going on or not, than you have. And I think that's what's going to come out in this conversation. So Dave, kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what marker training is. Um, a lot of people kind of just call it clicker training or food training or whatever it is. Uh, I kind of resist that name. I just call it marker training. So kind of talk a little bit about what it is and what it is not. Uh, okay. So yeah, I hate the term clicker training. I'd, I'd rather call it marker training, but here's the reality we have to understand. The clicker or the marker is only a tool. It's how we shape the behaviors and, and uh, get the dog to be an active learner and participant in the process of training is what's most important. And, um, none, you know, let's forget clicker training. Let's forget marker training and call it scientifically what it is it's a secondary reinforcer or a bridge none of this is new it's kind of newer on the working dog side of things um i i you know before probably 2001 ish not many people were doing it um with working dog i i can't say nobody was but not many people were doing doing it ivan started doing it and he was using a word as a marker michael kind of followed in Ivan's footsteps, you know, they were roommates in San Francisco. So you kind of figured it rubbed off on Michael right. a little bit. And I kind of entered the scene with a clicker um, doing my thing. But none of this is new. We can go right back to B.F. Skinner, followed with the the, uh, uh, the Breelands to Bob Bailey. And, you know, we think about a lot of this stuff with marker training. If, if you understand the history of it, Bob Bailey was doing very intricate, interesting things for the military with Project Pelican, you know, having birds, uh, you know, flying and, and spying and taking photos with cameras, having cats do uh, stuff in Russia, you know, spying. So they were. That's where the whole they that's where the whole myth started that the CIA that no birds are real and that there's just CIA right. robots. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yes. So it is, it, you know, none of this is new. It, it just kind of took somebody, you, you know, uh, may, I, I don't even want to say progressive, call it whatever you experimental to go, hey, let me let me grasp a little of what's going on here and and go for it. And, um, you know, I look back to 2001, my first dog I went to the world's with, I experimented a little bit with the clicker. And back then I had long hair and dreadlocks. Um Everyone's like, I, we don't know who the fucking hippie is, you know. When I came with my second dog and went to another world championship, everyone's like, well, wait a second. This ain't this guy's not, you know, a one-hit wonder. And that dog, uh, his name was Rasta Van, Van, Van Gurmelhaus, was a, just a mean motherfucker. And, you know, I trained him using a clicker with a lot of operant type of work, and everyone's like, wait a second, what's going on? But, yeah, none of this stuff is really new. It just kind of took a few people to bring it to, to, you know, where we are now with working dogs. And there's still tons of resistance, and you guys know that. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, the canine industry changes. You know, Bradshaw is one of the best um, at explaining how um, fast the canine industry changes, and his description is glacial, um, which is, you know, accurate. So, 
one of the things that is endemic in this industry is um, the Master Splinter and Ninja Turtle like apprenticeship deal, and we've always done it that way, so that's how we're going to do it type thing. Um, right. and, you know, Eric says it best. You know, you get dudes from 1980 that you know if you show up to a training group and all they've got on are choke chains. And you're like, I know exactly what kind of shit goes on here. So, um, you know, and it's kind of endemic in this industry. And when I start talking to guys, and like you said, it's not new training in general. It goes back to those dudes that, uh, like you mentioned, B.F. Skinner and the guys, those dudes. And when I start talking to them about, like, training, because in my handler schools, I try and do a little bit of this with them. I'm like, you know, how do you train a dolphin? And they kind of look at me, and I'm like, well, they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, okay, think about it for a second. You can't force him to do anything. I mean, you're going to jump in the water right. and force him to fucking jump? And they're like, well, they kind of look at me, and I'm like, okay, well, think about that for just a little bit while I go get this or do something else. And I kind of want them to start thinking in terms of what motivates the dog, how do you reward it, when do you reward it, and all that other stuff. Because I say, you know, if you have an animal that's huge like a killer whale, you have fucking Shamu. You can't force that animal to do anything. Like, I mean. Right. It's a fucking 3,000 pound fish. You can't, but they're, those people manage to train those animals. So, um, dogs too are extremely, um, compliant in terms of allowing positive punishment. Um, well, some dogs are, at least the dogs that we're talking about in this episode, um, or will receive positive punishment or, or can receive a correction. You can't correct a killer whale. You can't correct a dolphin. Um, in fact, it's just withholding something would be a way that you would correct an animal like that. But when I start explaining it in those terms, they kind of look at me like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'm like, all right, well, just remember that for the next month. So, you know, when we start talking about, um, cause Eric has had a lot of pushback and I have had a lot of pushback and they're like, oh, I don't like clicker training. What happens if you lose your clicker? I'm like, well, you got your voice. And yeah, I, and one right. thing fucking handlers love to do is they repeat the same command over and over and over. I mean, I've been to trainings and Eric used the same thing. Like how many times you see a guy to tell his dog to out, 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 out. I'm like, would you just let's hold on. So like kind of going through the process of one command, one behavior, and then the whole teaching process and how we shape things and everything else. So, um, and kind of summation marker training is nothing more than using successive approximation or using timing to tell the dog that the behavior that he just performed is something desirable and we pair it to a reward or we pair it to a correction if it's undesirable. Um, how has it changed the police dog side um, or the, in terms of like detection tracking and then even bite work? Well, I, you know, I want to back up a little bit here. Right. What you just said about marking and changing the behavior or whatever, we've got to think of, of, of marker training or secondary reinforce using a secondary reinforcer a little bit different. The clicker or the marker is our tool. It's the way that we shape behaviors. Now, we can talk about the way we shape behaviors. There's about five to six, maybe seven ways we shape behaviors from luring, capturing, prompting, molding, modeling, uh, chaining, free shaping, blah, 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 maybe a couple more. It's how we use those and teach the dog to be active and really teaching the dog the contract between behavior, secondary reinforcer, the, the moment marker, and reward. That That's really the key. The, the clicker or the moment marker is just our tool, our vehicle to get us there. It, it's a noise that obviously, you know, a dog has a... a 
basically a window of 1.5 seconds, give or take. You know, if, if it's a dumb bloodhound, maybe they have like three seconds. If it's a Malinois, maybe they got like one second, whatever. But um, <laughs> they only have that window of learning. So using a moment marker to moment mark the correct behavior only makes sense. Have we trained dogs prior to all this stuff without that? Yeah, we all did. You did. I did. Uh, Eric did. It's the, we, Can you fucking train a dog without a, a marker? Yes. Can you make it better and cleaner using a marker? Absolutely. Can you train a strong dog clearer and better? 100%. That being said, it, you know, the problem with the same thing you guys face in the working dog industry with police dogs. We are dealing with very tight time frames and a budget to get dogs done and in and out handler on the street. Yeah. It's, it's just the reality, you know, like, so I, when I do it, if, and when I did it, it was pretty expensive because I would literally finish the dog before the handler even came in. Dope was done. Apprehension, you know, all the way up to certification was done just it made my life easier and i knew what the dog knew if you're having to train the handler and the dog and jam a bunch of theory down the handler's you know throat it can be very difficult i i already know that struggle and that's a little bit of the fight the other fight we have with the working dog or police dog community is that still to this day people think that everybody in sport our dogs are different than the dogs on the street yeah some of them are but I, I, anybody that knows me knows my dogs easily could be a street dog tomorrow if we want them to. They're not, you know, they're, they're strong. They have natural aggression, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's just the training that would put the dog on the street, right? That's, it's only the difference. Right. You know, and it's one, one of the strongest patrol dogs we ever produced had an IPO one. It took them three times to do it because he tried to kill the judge during tracking and during obedience the first right. two times. <laughs> um, terrible IPO dog and a uh, fantastic patrol dog. And he was gnarly. Um, you know, we had Kevin uh, Sheldon from New Mexico. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And fantastic trainer. Um, he's, you know, been around for freaking ever. And, you know, when we interviewed him, he said, you know, he gets a lot of the dogs from for his program from his um, local club that he is a part of and like, you know, he's really good at selecting those dogs that are, have, you know, that quality that we look for to produce patrol dogs. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I mean, I think that people associate the, the dogs being different when in reality it's not, it's just the training. I mean, you know, when, right. you know, when we get a dog and it has a bark and hold, we don't believe in that. So we have to, we do what we do. We, we call it dirtying them up, but I mean, I don't want them oh, yeah, to bark and hold. Yeah, so I mean, but right. and uh, there's not a ton of difference in the dogs, for sure. You're 100 percent right. I mean, there can recently. Be, there's been a know, lot of that stuff on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's always uh, oh, Facebook. You, you know, it's it's a godsend yeah. for our businesses, but it, like it, I really I think social media is doing a disservice to young people coming into dog training because it gives them an opportunity to talk where these young people who've never done nothing really don't have a fucking opinion. I mean, that's like when, when all of us started and whoever our mentors were, we didn't have an opinion. We said, yes, sir. No, sir. We'll fucking listen to you. 
Now you can go to any, you know, I don't care if it's a, a working dog, police dog page or sport page, and you have people chiming in with their opinion that never even fucking snapped a leash on a dog. That's a whole nother story, though. Yeah. Yeah. There, we have, I've, yeah that, that's a long, dark road. Um. That, that's, the, that's the shit. That's the shit I talk about on my podcast. That's way. a long, dark road. Um, so, you know, kind of getting back to um, how we can apply this or how the guys uh, and, and women listening that are handling patrol dogs can start kind of incorporating some of this into the training um, into their handling. Um, you know, succinctly, we're talking about capturing a behavior. So, for instance, it's as simple as it sounds, when you tell the dog to sit, and he sits, you mark the instant his ass hits the ground with a word, with a noise or something at that point. That mark means reward is imminent, right? So you're going to get a click, you're going to get a yes or a bra, whatever your mark is. Um, I use a clicker and then I move it to yes. Uh, it's just because of habit. I've done a bazillion dogs that way. Um, and then I have a negative mark too, which is no. But um, they understand that reward is imminent at that point. So we're tying the word that I mark, whether the noise or the clicker or uh, the word yes to a reward, whether it's a ball, whether it's a bite, whether it's a treat or a little piece of food or whatever it is. Um, but not a lot of patrol dogs are trained that way. Um, so what would be your best advice is how to start incorporating some of that stuff into it? So for an example, if, if I get a new, uh, you know, I don't even want to say a police dog in any dog that I get in for performance work. Like I, I just happen to have got a new young dog in for myself for IPO a couple weeks ago. Even if it was a police dog, the first thing that I teach them is the contract between behavior, uh, secondary reinforcer and reward. It's actually how to move away from me, which blows everybody's mind because most people are trying to get a dog to pay attention to them. So I use a table and I teach the dog how to operantly move away from me, get on the table, click, come back to me for food. The dog knows that I have reward. So I want to get that very clear to the dog. You offer me that behavior, get all four feet on the table, click, come back to me for food. All my dogs learn that. Police dog, I don't care if it's going to be a detection dog, apprehension dog, and sport dog, nose work dog, whatever. They all have to go through that program. And, and the key is that the dog's not, I'm not pointing to the table, telling him to, you know, go to your table, jump up, anything like that, that the dog works operantly and offering the behavior. Once I get that, I'll teach the dog, assuming the dog has toy drive, we're talking about a higher caliber working dog, they'll be on the tug, I'll teach him inducive out, then I'll teach him how to leave the tug, get on the table, click, come back for a bite. That's the minimum all my dogs have to learn, especially a police dog. Once they understand that, then I can take the training further. But the dog is learning impulse control and the contract between reward or sorry, behavior, uh, secondary force or reward and how to offer behavior on its own, really how to get the dog to fucking think. And with that stuff, I have a world of stuff that can open up. Then I have my detection training. Then I have the dog understanding how to out in impulse control around a helper or a decoy or whatever. And believe me, guys, I, I fully understand what, l listen, if I, ha if I was a cop, I'd have a dog on the street and he'd do a hard out 
tactical out, whatever you call. I, I get that thing, but they do have to certify, right? We all get yep. got to get them through certification, and um, I, I'd like to make the the training as conflict free as I can, at least for that stuff, right? Um, on the street, that's a whole different story. We're not, you know. I can go back to around 2005 when I was selling police dogs and selling my police dog program. I went to the first, one of the uh, HITS conferences. I think it was in Nashville, maybe around 2006. I can't quite remember when it was, but um, I remember having a vendor table set up, and I had a bunch of clickers out for everybody. You know, anybody that wanted to come by the table, blah, 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 give them a card, give them a clicker. Holy shit, man. Like, Everyone was picking up a clicker going, what the fuck do we do with these things? You know, we got a long haired dreadlock guy handing out clickers. He can't know what he's doing. So it wasn't accepted then. And it's just starting to get accepted now. But it's all about teaching the dog how to be an active thinker and to be a participant. So what I explained to you about having the dog move away from reward to do a behavior, click, come back to me. That's the primary part of getting the dog, really teaching them how to learn. That's the whole key, teaching them how to learn. And, you know, that's one thing that Eric talks about a lot when we go to HRDs is, one, the dog has to be comfortable working away from you. We see a ton of dogs that are uncomfortable working away from the handler. And, two, the one thing that you're doing with that is you're already incorporating a recall, which turns into a call-off, oh, which turns into man, you can all. Turn, <laughs> you can turn that shit into – you can. I can't even tell you how many things you could add to that. As the dog's coming back, you could throw a hear command. You could throw a whistle command on it if you want. You can toss food through your legs. You know, what you, whatever the fuck you you can turn it into a million things, right? Right. Um, but it, it, it's just like the essence of all my training, and it's for sure the essence of my detection training. Because all our detection training is taught off lead, and the dogs are accountable for their own stuff. We're not rewarding its source, and we, we leave the dogs alone. That way we don't get any handler influence that could possibly. We Obviously, we put all the dogs on lead later and we do detailing and that. But the whole principle, and it's funny because it's all fresh on my mind because I'm doing a whole new um, nose work series right now for my website. We're, we've been recording it today. And the whole principle is the dog is accountable and I'm not with you, dog. You're accountable for going over there, throwing the indication. Moment, Mark, come back to me. I am not coming near source. I am not rewarding its source. I do not want to contaminate the indication with body language. Um, That's one thing that Subtle talks about, too. Subtle's like, when he teaches handler schools, he, I remember talking about it, and he says, hey, you know, everybody scratch their balls and fuck around with your keys and spit and spit your dip out and everything else, and everybody stop messing with stuff. And, and I'll tell a Velcro story after we come back from the commercial. But, um, yeah, the body language thing is huge. So um, what were you going to say, Eric? So when, um, so if we have a, if you're a trainer, not a handler, because no offense, handlers, you, you're not starting dogs at green dogs. They're, you're just not. So if, if we're talking to trainers here and they want to, um, for the very first time, they, they've been reading, been talking to people, and they, they want to start using a marker for the imprinting of the odor in, in the detection phase. How would you recommend they take those first steps? You know, there, there's a couple different ways. I, I'm not even. To, uh, there's a couple different ways you do it, but it, as long you know, we in, 
once the dog understands how to learn, and it only takes a couple of days, you know, to get the dog yeah. to be operant, mm-hmm. teach, charge the clicker, do that whole thing. Then we're going to have the odor. I like to have it in some kind of what I call vessel or pod, right? It can be your PVC pipe. It could be, you know, your wooden box with a hole in it. Um, I've got this new cool little thing I call the odor indication shaping device, really just a piece of fucking PVC from the hardware store (laughs) that I hold in my hand and there's odor in it. And um, I just drop food through it as primary reward. And within about like literally a minute, I've now switched to secondary reward since the dog's interested in the pipe. They put their nose in, I click, toss food to the side and they just start doing it. Right. And then we transfer that to whatever vessel of maybe a PVC pipe on the ground with odor. And man, I proof the hell out of that indication before I even do discrimination. Like it's the, we talk about the three D's distance, distraction, and duration. If I don't have that first on my one vessel with odor on it, whether it's a wooden box or a pipe, I do not go to discrimination yet. So, you know, you have to decide how far of a distance do you want the dog to be able to move away from you? How far of a, um, how long of a duration do you want the dog to be able to hold that indication? And the distractions. Can the dog hold the indication while I'm tapping on the wall, calling its name? You know, like you said, uh, spitting your dip, <laughs> dropping your keys, screwing around, doing whatever. Even saying, hey, dog, check here, check here, check here. And that dog does not leave its fucking indication. This is all shit that I learned, you know, being an expert witness for all these years and right. be able to show in, in court, hey, there's either handler influence or there's fucking not. Show me if that dog can, you know, move away from the handler and indicate. And th- that's yeah. that's kind of where, you know, it, it all started coming together to me, even though that, you know, I, I don't do that shit anymore. I hate fucking defense attorneys. There's a guy in Chicago that owes me about $100,000 right now. But that being said, I learned a lot about this shit doing that work. Um, And, you know, I call it a bomb-proof indication. You know, a lot of reasons that I did all this shit was the dogs that I sold to my guys. I said, listen, if you end up in court, I got your fucking back. Don't worry about that. Because these dogs are bomb-proof. There is no hole in their fucking training. You know, and you talk about handler influence and uh, Cameron Ford, I think, had somebody on his thing recently on his podcast recently and talked about it. And Derek, did we talk with him about that? I know that you told that story. Do you tell it? Have you told it on the podcast about um, face? His, yeah, his handler influence. He talks right, yeah. about it. Um, I think he talked about it on his, ours. I think talked he did about too. his. And then I've used it in training to show guys. I've done yeah. the, you know, the whole thing where you you stare at the opposite end of the room away from the odor and the dog comes over and only searches where you're looking. And um, right. it's pretty telling right. to the guys. They're like, oh, my dog, he'll be fine. Next thing you know, the dog's sniffing the handler's feet and won't leave. Yep. Yeah, so I, I'll have to have, I'll, I'll hunt down which episode that was with Cameron and then I'll have Alicia put it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a super important um, thing and you hit on something too that we talk about uh, a lot during, because I finish dogs at, at Torchlight before the handlers pick them up. So I consistently and forever will from now on get dogs to ignore handlers for the most part. Um, the tapping, <laughs> I walk around and fucking tap shit and I'm constantly moving. It drives my kennel tech, Jamie nuts because I'm constantly walking around when the dogs are out and 
I, they finally just learned to ignore me. And I'm every time I'm talking to him, I'm like, your handler's going to lie to you in the future. Believe me. <laughs> like, <laughs> he will lie to you. He is going to lie to you. He's going to point somewhere where he thinks odor is, and it's not going to be there, and he's not going to believe you. Just believe me. Don't right. believe him. <laughs> like, so which is why I do it. Um, we're going to go to break real quick. When we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit about how we use it for um, decoy work, well, for bite work, uh, for decoying, yep. and then for tracking, and then um, how to kind of incorporate it. Say we've got somebody that's got a three- or four-year-old patrol dog that obviously was not trained this way, or even maybe was, but they don't know, where you start and where you can take it from there. So let me... You got so it. Yeah, we'll be back in just a little bit. All right, guys, Scottsdale, Arizona, 2020 hits... Uh, first of all, congratulations to Jeff Barrett, one of the owners of Hits, uh, for his retirement. Jeff's oh, yeah. a good dude. Um, Ted and I are going to be instructing there this year. It's the best conference out there, period. It's yep. the biggest and the best. Um, it's in Scottsdale. Never been there. Can't wait. You know, it's in the desert, and the hotel has a wave pool. So, guys, we can go surf. All you dudes can be out there, you know, with your dad bods and all that stuff, um, hanging out. Ted... Here, when and where? Can. What are we doing? <laughs> Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> uh, August 18th to the 21st, 2020. Uh, yeah, everybody can bring their night their their night shift tan out and surf in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's uh, hits <laughs> canine letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. I think about six weeks before uh, tickets go up. Or so. Be sure to. Uh, Head on over. And if you were part of a Patreon member of ours, we gave away a free uh, pass this year, too. So also pays to be a Patreon member because you could go for free. Well, at least the the, the uh, ticket price would be free. So, yeah. Uh, one of our other sponsors that we're really stoked about and has been with us for a long time is Ray Allen. Ray Allen has been around forever. And it's not just for police dogs. It's for working dogs, pets. Uh, bird dogs, gun dogs, and of course, police dogs and sport dogs. But they have everything from leashes to handler equipment to uh, we actually do the muzzles for them, the uh, Ramtech muzzles here, uh, the working dog dragon ones there. So, yeah, those are uh, fantastic. If you use the discount code working dog radio, uh, you'll get 10% off. Um, and it's rayallen.com. Head on over, hit them up, order something. I'm a knee collar guy, right? I train all my dogs on knee collars. And I use, for all my working dogs, man, it's Dogtra. That's all it is, Dogtra. Uh, the, I, I maintain over and over the 1900S is the best collar on the market for police dogs. 1900S by Dogtra. It can, you can get a Molly attachment for your vest for the uh, controller. And uh, I, I love the 1900S. Ted, talk about the ball popper that you love. Oh, yeah, the ball popper and the ball popper pro. It's a popper and a dropper. You can tie multiple of them together, I think eight at a time, and it'll launch a tennis ball about waist height, and then you can load up to three to drop them. And I hide them. I actually modify them and put magnets all over them and stick them under cars, under our bus, and all kinds of stuff. We'll put them inside cars to launch tennis balls out when we're training dogs. Batteries are rechargeable on the pro, and it's got a little bit uh, shorter response time on the remote, so you get a better response from the dog and the window is much shorter in terms of the reaction from the unit but yeah i love that thing uh we gave away some of those also during our patreon giveaway uh christmas last year so and the year before that so there's some people out there that have gotten that love them so i like i like them a lot for sure yeah we have a discount code if you check them out go to dogtra.com discount code wdr10 for 10 percent off a single item over 200 dollars. dogtra.com yeah, you know, one of the sponsors has been with us since the beginning is Highland Canine out in North Carolina. It's the Pergasons, Jason and Aaron. 
Love those guys. Jason's actually been on the podcast before. He's an instructor at a lot of the conferences we go to. Fantastic trainer. Uh, they run a school there that accepts a VA, and they've got customers from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, they've developed programs for um, African nations, and uh, have had lots of dogs come through. Uh, they do green dogs. They do seminars. They do top-to-bottom police dogs with handler schools included. Uh, and because of that, they've got on-site living accommodations for handlers during handler schools. So top-to-bottom, front-to-back, beginning to end, they got you covered. Head over to Tactical Police Canine Training. Dot com. That's letter K number nine. And check out everything they've got going on in the seminars coming up. We actually gave away a $500 gift certificate during uh, our Christmas giveaway in 2019. So, yeah, be sure to head over. Tactical Police Canine, letter K number nine, training.com. So one of the best things that we ever have gotten on this podcast is our relationship with VetCare and their product, Quick Derm. We make no secret about it. I tell everybody um, they're like, yeah, my dog's got this going on. This this injury got cut here. Do that. I might get quick derm by vet care. It's it's like magic elixir. It really is. It's crazy how good it works and how fast it is as advertised. It's one of my uh, favorite relationships that we have. Quick derm by vet care. Um, Ted, I know you use it on yourself. I think. Yeah, I got nuked by a dog last year and had to get some stitches, but it definitely helped clean it up. Uh, in fact, you have a buddy that's up close mm. to you that owns a. Uh, pet business that had a dog come in that he used it on to keep this dog. The, the problem from getting worse that the owner didn't realize had that had the dog had when he got dropped off, uh, which is kind of what this stuff's about. It prevents little things from becoming big problems. So, you know, dogs cut themselves, especially working dogs. You know, stuff gets stuck in their paw. Happy tails, another common one. Um, they get their muzzles all torn up and stuff from dealing with uh, crates and kennels. It's super easy to apply. Works really well. You only have to do it once a day. It's not like rocket science. So, yeah, head over to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a 10% off discount off your first order. Speaking of easy, that's why I like vetcare. But also easy is Horizon Structures. We get information uh, passed to us all the time and questions passed to us all the time about, oh, what's the best kennel to use? Do you use this? Do you use you know, these pre-made panels, whatever else? If you're going to invest the money to create a commercial, whether it's the police side or whatever, invest the money in Horizon Structures. It's literally like plug and play. So you have the pad set up, you tie it into sewer and water. They show up with a flatbed truck, they drop that sucker off and it's plugged in. You can put dogs in it an hour after they leave. It's fantastic. Eric, what do you think of those things? I, I tell you this. I remember you built that uh, that one kennel oh, yeah. that you had. I guarantee there, yeah. you, if you knew the Horizon Structures was available, you'd have just done that. It's I can't. Um, I'm looking everywhere for a kennel, and there's just never, anything's not perfect. You know, it's just not working out for me. So I'm trying to find a, a good spot where I can get Horizon Structures. I've been on their website, horizonstructures.com, went through everything, looked at their tutorials, looked at their videos, Um Dude, it's, you drop it, put dogs in it. So how simple is that? It's amazing. They have financing available, everything, horizonstructures.com. Yeah, and it's custom. You can literally do yes. whatever you want, like from insane, from mild to wild, insane to normal. I mean, anything you want. But yeah, horizonstructures.com. Hit them up. All right, guys, we are back working dog radio, Eric and Ted, uh, with our good buddy Dave Croyer. 16-time world champion, uh, uh, at Four, least world 14, competitor, 14, I believe, in Mondio Ring. 14 times. 14. Yeah, 14, 14. times. All right. Now, um, I, 14 IPO times. Mondio Ring combined. <laughs> God damn. How many countries have you been in training dogs? Oh, uh, man. I, 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 I don't know. 
uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything in, in basically Europe. Uh, that, I mean, I, I can't, you know, um, uh, I, I guess I've not been to the Middle East. You know, I've been to Turkey years ago, but um, I, I not much in the Middle East. Um, uh, most places of uh, Asia, you know, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Mexico. Spent a lot of time in Mexico. Um, I, fuck, I don't. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get back into the marker training, what country would you say has got some legit dog trainers that we don't really, that don't get enough credit? Ooh, that is a tough one. You know, you know what? Okay, I'm going to be honest to God. There, there's, there's, you know, there's some in every country, every single country. But I, I'm going to pull out a, a, a thing in my life that sticks out like a thumb when you say that. I was in um, Cali, Colombia. I'm trying to look at this. I've got a clock on my wall that I bought when I was there, a cool wooden clock from a village. I don't remember what year, early 2000s. I was doing a seminar in Cali. Cali is not like a really great uh, city. I was doing a sem IPO seminar there. Then I was going up to Bogota, Bogota to the university to help with some um, training with rats for uh, mind detection. But when I was down in Cali at this seminar, there was this kid, man, like he, he barely had enough money for the seminar. Really, you know, he was dressed in probably like $5 worth of clothing. Um, and he was hanging on every word of mine during the seminar. Didn't speak any English. And when he got his dog out, he had this Rottweiler. He had to ask and borrow for some training food from somebody. He didn't even have a real toy. I think he had like a rolled up fucking sock to give the dog. The training just blew my fucking mind, blew me out of the water. And this is, you know, I, I'm not going to say, it, you know, Kelly's not third world, but this kid wasn't definitely very privileged. And I was like, God, man, you know, there, there's, it don't matter where you're from or, or you know, your income. It, it's if you're really into something, you're going to get it done. And that kid just blew my mind. If he had the means and the dog and, you know, some kind of funding easily, he could have been a world competitor, international competitor. So, you know, there's some, there's no one spot of the world. Um, I really like what's happening in the United States right now with our trainers. I think we got some of the best bucket trainers in the world. Everybody's always oh, like, yeah. Oh, Germany, Germany, no. Holland, Nether, you know, fuck, come to America, man. Look, you, all you have to do is look, look at the training here. Look, you know, if you follow sport dogs, see who's making the podium, see who's making the team podiums. And um, even in the police dog world, I, I think we have very good fucking training right now. Yeah, especially in the police dog world. And I say this a lot. I think I say it online and I think I've said it here before. Erica said it. Um, you know, we police very differently here in the United States. Um, when we interviewed Bradshaw, he was talking about how there's a lot of places in the, in the world where um, at Colombia being or Venezuela, one of the two countries where people probably should get bit and it's illegal to use police dogs to bite people. Um, right. We're very fortunate here um, as the industry to be in a position where we're able to do that. We have some pretty um, longstanding case law that allows us to do it. But uh, as far as um, the skill of, of reliably and repeatedly producing dogs that are good at finding stuff and biting people, uh, the United States is 
fraud. The United States and Canada. Canada has some badass trainers too. Oh um, yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent they do. Th- that and they're very similar to us. Um, we are definitely probably some of the, if not the best in the world. Um, and because it's in, and it's a byproduct of how we police. It's a byproduct of our legal system. It's a byproduct of everything, and it trickles down. And fundamentally, a lot of the people from Europe don't understand that. Um, you know, they're like, well, in Holland, we do it this way. And I'm like, nobody cares. <laughs> like we don't, I don't care right. how you do it in Holland. I don't live there. I live here. I sell dogs here. We train police officers here. Like we, it's almost like it's a different country with its own set of laws and legal system. I don't know what to tell you. So, oh yeah, you're hundred percent right. We have some badass trainers in the United States for sure, especially on the police dog side. Um, hundred so, percent. Um, Eric, uh, was, uh, we were talking about, um, during the break and so say we have a handler that has a three or four or however many year old dog, um, that wasn't knowingly started this way. Um, what's a way that guys and girls listening to this can start this process? Cause I get that a lot. And that's one question I think that Eric gets asked a lot too. It's like, well, my dog's too old to start it. I'm like, nah, not really. <laughs> You, you've been doing it, you don't know it. So um, what's one way that you would say to have, uh, w- just have people start doing it with a dog that's already matured, that's already been working um, with right, known right. behaviors? So, you know, I've had to deal with this, you know, through my whole life, my career as with what I do, whether I'm getting a three-year-old import IPO3 dog in or I'm getting a police dog that's a problem dog or i'm just getting your basic 15 month old two-year-old you know rebellious green dog who only knows how to shit and not let go of a ball either way they all got to start somewhere right so um this goes back to the, the what i was just talking about a few minutes ago this thing that i do with the table we can call it targeting we can call you call it a lot of different things but it's really getting the dog to understand you can do things you're in charge of your own destiny, that it's possible, you know, uh, once again, we're talking about dogs that are motivated. They have to be motivated. If they're not motivated, but none of the dogs we are talking about would be not motivated. So, uh, you know, using food first. We don't want to do anything with a toy or a prey item or a bite because it's way too fucking high of a drive state. Just teaching them, you know, literally lure them up, put them on a table, click, food click food click food load the behavior show them that hey man being up on this table is really really cool you're going to get a high reward history get them off the table and keep doing that until the dog starts to say you know what i'm off the table i want to get on this table by myself without any information they jump up on the table moment mark and have them come back to you for food once again that's the first thing that i do now you could even you could break that. It don't have to be a table. If you don't have a table, I, I have like 20 tables, so I can do it. But it could be a touch pad. It could be a horse bucket. You know, anything that the dog could, some simple behavior that the dog can learn to open its mind, be an active, you know, participant in the training instead of it, in training being one dimensional. And I tell you what to do and I tell you what to do. You know, getting the dog to be operant and offering a behavior. It could be as simple as something as, hey, you touch my hand, click, you get a piece of food from my other hand. But any type of targeting behavior like that. The other thing that I have to do is teach an out. It's funny, I was just working on the out with my dog before this call, my young dog. So he's biting the tug. I do the typical induce about where I, I go static. The dog will let go. 
and then click, give a rebite. Yeah. Now, that's a young dog. He, he let go on his own. If it's an older dog, it may require a little positive punishment if they have a pre-existing outing problem. Either way, I'm going to moment mark the minute they let go of that and give them a rebite. Right. You know, and that's... that's now, for those thing. of you who are talking up when he talks about positive punishment, if you go back and listen to our interview with Katie Matthews, we talked all this uh, learning theory. So make sure you're listening. You go back and listen to that. And we talk about the four quadrants and all that stuff, so that you kind of understand uh, what he's talking about. If you don't already know, yeah. And I, that out is one way that I, I uh, kind of talk and introduce this to um, handlers to get them to think about it. So for everybody listening, how do we teach an out? Um, Dave, you just talked about how we use a little bit of punish, positive punishment. So for those that don't know exactly what that is, that is us adding something that it's undesirable, i.e. a pinch or electricity to force an out. Once the out happens, that stops and then the reward takes place, right? So typically how we do it, and I see trainers do it all the time, is as soon as the dog outs, it's rewarded with a rebite, right? And stopping of the behavior of the undesirable, um, stimulus whether it's an e-collar bench or whatever uh but that is positive punishment and then we reward that with positive reinforcement by allowing them to rebite so we're marking that behavior in time two different ways by stopping that behavior by stopping the stimulus and then allowing them to rebite the issue becomes dogs are super smart um they start to learn that as soon as they out that they get They're getting a rebite. <laughs> right. So then they get smart. Right. And then as soon as they, and then at any point in time, if you sneeze or like do something weird, uh, they will fucking tag you. And, or a lot of times they'll right. tag you and they'll just anticipate cause they'll start counting, but that's a whole other conversation. So, um, I tell guys like, look, you know, this dog's already got a known behavior. He has a sit, he has a heel, he has all these things, right? So once you've loaded this behavior, whether it's yes or your click or whatever you're going to use, um, and be consistent. Um, with the older dogs, uh, I tell my guys, don't even worry about the clicker at first. Just say yes, right? Yes, give him a treat. Yes, give him a treat. He's already got a heel. You've already used a force to get him a heel. He's already got a semi-clean out on a ball. He's already got, you know, uh, tracking behaviors. He's already got biting behaviors. He's already got all these things. He's a mature and patrol dog, right? So just start with something simple. Like as soon as he sits, dog name sit. As soon as he sits, yes, mark it. Yeah, all of a sudden, a marker, give him a reward. Yes, all of a sudden, and I'm not, I don't have him use a ball at this point. I have him use food just because a lot of times with these dogs that are super high in prey, you get a ball out and they lose all fucking, they, they only got two brain cells and they're arguing. So um, like not, not the easiest, right. not the best time to introduce that. So moving forward through that, how do we start using it for um, tracking and bite work? Okay, let, let's just start with the tracking. As far as tracking goes, the tracking behavior, you know, uh, there's really nothing as far as the exact, like the, are we, you know, trailing, tracking, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, I look at them differently. But when we get to the articles, when we're teaching an article search or articles on the track, it's the same exact thing, right? Like, how, whatever we want the indication to be for the article. That's all done with a clicker off the track. Um, you know, in, in sport work, traditionally, it's a down for a lot of, uh, if we're talking about articles or stuff like that, uh, in article search for police work, tech, normally it's a down or a sit. Um, that's all, you know, trained with a clicker. Basically, yeah. you can shape it or you could 
tell. You could tell the dog down. You could put an article in front of it. When they look at it, click and just load that until they start offering it. There's so much you can do with that. But as far as the actual track itself, really not a hell of a lot that I've ever done, whether it's, you know, a trailing or true tracking or area search dog as far as that thing. That being said, with my detection dogs, I will click a head a head check. Right. You know, like a, if a dog going by an order. Yeah, yeah, if I get a head snap, I'll click that. And they're like, why did you do that? The dog didn't indicate. I'm like, you know what? I'm, th- that was so, the timing was so fucking perfect right there. Nobody even thought about that. The, having a moment marker allows me to catch that moment in time where the dog recognized the odor. And next time I'll make him go and do the full indication. But, man, you can really pull apart tiny little detailed shit, you know, using a moment marker. Yeah, for sure. The, um, you know, and that kind of brings up like the Dick Stall thing uh, has a fantastic system for training puppies to track. And, um, right. you know, some of the hard surface shit that that guy does is some like next level. Yeah. It's amazing, man. Right. And that's what, that's sort of how he starts. And they're finding teeny tiny, like little articles and, you know, they're kind of tracking, I call it Island hopping. Um, and it's how I actually train hard surface tracking a lot of times after I get out of the water, uh, phase, but, uh, I just call it Island hopping, but they're looking for multiple little pools of odor and I mark into each individual little one. Um, so yeah, um, but th- like you said, when we do article recovery, and when we do article indication, like an area search, or you do like you do, you throw the article, they have to go find it. It is straight up. That is the exercise that is made for <laughs> marker training. Exactly. The, the that, dog that goes out. The best he, fucking thing. <laughs> he goes out. He finds the fucking item. He sits down and stares at it. You say yes. He comes back, and gets his ball. <laughs> like it right. is dead on command behavior compliance or. Per correct performance of, of behavior and then mark and reward. I mean, it is the step by step process and that is a perfect, and that is how I teach my guys. When our guy, when our dogs come to handle school, their um, articles are not done at all. I make the handlers do it and I make them do their obedience. And that's an easy one for them to do once right. they understand a clicker. Yep. Yes. Plus and the dog's in a passive state, whether a sit or a down. So, uh, you know, right. that's a good one for the handlers to learn about the clicker. Yeah. So one thing that, um, so HRD this year is going to start doing, um, decoy schools. Um, and I've done quite a few of them in the past for police dog guys. Um, and one thing that I harp on a lot, um, and one reason I think HRD is so successful is our decoys that we vet that come to these things already understand what I'm about to talk about. Um, so when we're doing tracking and obedience and, and detection work, um, the, Handler uh, is the object of operant conditioning, right? Like you have the reward. So you have the ball, you have the toy, like whatever, right? So we're teaching them to interact with the handler. During bite work, there's not really anything the handler can, there's not a lot the handler can do. Uh, He can't make the decoy do something even if he can't see it. So, you know, I talk a lot about that in our decoy schools where I try to explain to guys that the Decoy is the object of opera conditioning during those behaviors. And we teach a ton of behaviors right. for police dogs that I'm not going to get into, but like proper targeting, proper grip, all those things. The same yep. quadrants that we use, positive punishment, positive reinforcement, all those things are part of that entire behavior matrix and how we mark behavior. So Eric calls it the, uh, Eric, what do you call those dudes that dance around? Like they look like those little Gumby things that are at car lots. I'm trying to remember. 
<laughs> Eric calls him something. He he talks about um, how they. Uh, he talks about how those dudes look like those Gumby guys at the car lot. So um, with decoys, um, we we start to mark behavior. So we can't click. We can't really, I mean, we can verbalize, but if we don't verbalize, you know, we have dogs biting passive people. So then what do we do? Right. So right. let's talk a little bit about decoying and opera conditioning and marking behaviors as a decoy. Well, you, you know, there, you just said that, you know, in the protection work or in the uh, apprehension work, the decoy is basically the reward, right? But there's something that we could add to that. There's even in the sport world, there's a lot of arguing whether this should be done or shouldn't be done. Um, you know, there was something that I learned from ring training uh, uh, years ago on a recall, on a stop attack, any of that stuff. When the dog comes back to me, I can actually reward with a toy. Now, you know, from from myself, if I'm trying to recall the dog, something like that, whether it's a bite right. pillow, something like that. I know that a lot of people are saying, well, once the dog takes a toy, he's not in real, quote, aggression or protection mode. I'm like, I get it. I totally understand it. We wouldn't be, first of all, we're not doing a stop attack on the street normally anyway, right? That's certification stuff. I, I mean, some guys might do it, but the street, the actual street work is very different than what we're training the dogs to do for certification or clarity, you know, for the obedience, that type of secondary obedience for protection work. Right. But I could take my ring dog tomorrow and turn him into a street dog. You know, give us a week, put him in the muzzle and make some fire and funk with him. And I've got a police dog who can still think clearly if I want him to. He can still be a dirty son of a bitch if I want him to either yeah. way but from from the standpoint of protection work i think that people need to start thinking about you the handlers how can they utilize their you know instead of the decoy being the primary reward which it always should be and will be you could still get a reward from the handler possibly too with a toy but if we're talking about how do we use a moment marker in moment marker in bite work protection whatever we have to think about what are the exercises we're looking for, right? The basic drive building, stuff like that, do not require any moment marking because it's a you know no. pretty much emotional state. Teaching the dog to target the bicep, tricep, leg, wherever the fuck you want to teach the dog to target doesn't really need a moment marker. But once we start teaching outs or any type of control, secondary control, using a moment marker is extremely beneficial to the dog because once again the dog only has a, a, a second and a half approximately of a window of learning we have no, right. really nothing else that we could do but moment mark that small time in space to let the dog know you were right before it gets whether another bite on the decoy or a bite from the a handler on a tog pillow or ball something like right. that one of the things that Eric and I talk about a lot um, is the type of biting or gripping behavior that Jason Davis hates that I use that word, but he knows what I mean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the biting and gripping behavior. Um, and, you know, Eric and I both prefer to teach that pushing grip. And that is some of it's genetic. Um, a lot of it is wholly um, taught um, by a decoy. 100%. Yep. 
And like you said, you know, we have about a one to one and a half seconds ish to mark that behavior. And I'm constantly like when I'm training new decoys and I'm training new handlers that are that are going to be maintaining patrol dogs. I constantly and I and this goes back to what we said, talking about, you know, handling a dog during detection work and worrying about your body language and everything else. When decoys are moving around in a suit and I'm like, why are you moving? We're like, what are you doing? And for me, I teach that the mark is doesn't necessarily have to be verbal, but it is movement. The dog is seeking to operate in prey unless he's not, which is another which is another conversation. But um, what he wants is he wants you to move um, when he performs something that I want, which is a drive or which is a push into me. I will give him that movement. Um, and then I start to wean it down to little bitty movements as they get better and better and better through multiple successive approximation sessions of, you know, and it just takes place over weeks. So when you're decoying handlers that are listening to this, think about what you're reinforcing, right? Is the dog frantic and moving all over the fucking place and yanking you around and, you know, he's grips super fucking shallow and you're continuing to scream and, you know, you're just kind of moving at random points in time. When you move at random points in time, you're telling the dog in that moment that what he is doing is correct. And that ain't right. Unless it's correct. Most of the time it's not. So right. <laughs> what we want is for you to only move and mark that behavior as a decoy when that dog drives and grips you hard, right? So right. Uh, this is outside of yep. defensive work and everything else. So we're just talking about basic targeting and basic grip and behavior. Yeah, we, you know, the way I explain it to decoys, as far as whether if the movement's the moment marker or you want to pair it with a yes or um, pairing it even with a clicker, which I'll tell you a little something that I do in a second, Think about if, if the, the lion has the wounded elk on the ground by the back leg and he's holding it, you know, it's all pretty calm. And then, um, you know, he, he maybe crushes down a little harder and that elk will kind of jerk and move. You know, that's the response that we want to, the decoy to give when the dog counters in. Now, there was something that I did with my current ring dog when he was younger. I was trying to promote him to wrap his front feet around the decoy's leg when he was biting, you know, right. just, just to kind of pull him in and get a bit, he already had a big grip, but I wanted the dog to, to wrap his legs around the decoy. What we kept doing was every time he offered it, I would click and the decoy would go down on the ground. So literally within, you know, a couple sessions, the dog just started going, Hey man, this is pretty cool. Every time I wrap up, the decoy goes down and I win. So there's a lot you can do even, you know, it, you know, it, that's pretty sophisticated using the clicker, and my dog lives and dies right. by the clicker. But either way, say yes or some kind of movement to let the dog know, yeah, you were right by digging in or pulling. You know, if you're an IPO guy, the, the, the IPO guys want pulling or countering in. Yeah, you know, half a dozen, whatever. <laughs> so in that scenario where you're using the clicker, teaching that wrapping how many reps do you think it took, if you remember back, until he really started to, uh, when I say reps, like, is it on the, he's on that bite with that guy within a few times of clicking, you can see he's starting to register with it? Man, it literally, it was that session. Because my particular dog, what happened when he was young, and, and the kid that I was training to be my decoy wasn't very physical with him, my dog started spinning him. You know, he's a leg oh, yeah. biter, a French ring dog. 
So he started mm. spinning them, and my dog's like, oh, this is pretty fucking cool. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't want you to pull and spin. So I'm like, hey, we got to stop that. You know, we're gonna, you're going to go static. I'm going to help you stand straight up. And then my dog naturally, naturally was like, okay, if I can't spin, and I was kind of blocking him with my body from spinning, he goes, I guess I'll just wrap up, you know, and kind of uh, covet, you know, that type of thing. And I clicked, and I told the decoy, go down when you hear the click. Literally after five times in that session, the dog started offering it. Every time I got the decoy back up, he'd stand still. The dog would wrap up again, click, and go down. But remember, that dog lived and died by the clicker, you know, from eight weeks old. He's like, okay, the click is something right. that it means I was right. And obviously the decoy going down was very cool for the dog. So the, the clicker, when you train the dog to be operant, they can learn new shit literally in fucking two minutes. If yeah. their mind is open and they're an operant, active mm-hmm. learner, you pick pick any stupid trick for my Malinois or and my Beagle. Fuck any of my dogs. Any little trick they can learn in five minutes. That's why they get used to actually a lot in TV commercials and movies because I got to get them on set. And they're like, hey, you know, we need them to do this, blah, blah, blah. You got three minutes, you know. All my dogs know targeting. They all know A to B. And they all they know how to learn really quick. So I'm like, okay. Give me two minutes. The dog will figure it out. We'll have something for you. So when the dogs grow up that way, man, they they can learn shit really quick. That's what I – we started this conversation out that way by saying when I get the opportunity to raise police dogs, I do all of this with them. And whether the handlers know it or not, you know, I've sold green dogs that way that I raised. And the department called me back. They're like, this is the easiest fucking dog to train. I'm like, yeah. I know. And they have no idea why. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, cool. I got more. You want any? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Easiest dog to ruin, too. Um, well, yeah. So, the, and, and the, some of the stuff we were talking about, like um, things that are created by the decoy, that, that um, <clears throat> you know, it's an epidemic in, um, this is just a slight tangent, and then we'll get back. It's an epidemic in the police world where they just put any swinging dick in the, in the bite suit. They uh, love doing that. Yep, yep. Put the young guy in there. Put the young guy in there. And usually the trainers or the handlers that are doing that don't actually understand the problems that they're creating. Um, have you ever had anybody ask you for help on certain things or you've been something that you could tell is a super problem created by the decoy work that you were able to, I guess it would be, now that I'm asking the question, it would probably be hard to, to fix it through marker training if the dog, if the marker's not charged and the dog doesn't understand it from the beginning. But, um, so like, are there little, little other tune-ups that you could use the marker for in the gripping behavior besides the punch and maybe that wrap up, anything like that at all? Uh, You know, that, uh, really, we all know how valuable a good decoy or helper is, whether it's sport work or police dog work or whatever. I, I think the big one, the huge one that people come to me for are my dog don't out. We have an outing problem. I can, oh, yeah. first of all, there's, there's no dog that I can't get to out. There's not a dog on this earth that I can't get to out. The marker is going to play a big part in that training the dog, what out means and that we're going to get, you know, it reward is going to happen right away and giving rebites. That being said, I, 
this is another topic. You know, a lot of people think that I'm, quote, for lack of better terms, positive only, reward-based, which is, I hate that fucking term, positive only. Believe me, I know how to use pressure. A lot of people don't know how to really use pressure on a dog in that situation. You know, when you've exhausted everything and we say we can't get them to out, I'm like, oh, no, we'll get them to out. But we've got to be, we're going to do it, but we're going to also be fair when we do this. And I'm going to show the dog a moment marker that's going to get a rebite. That is one of the biggest places that, okay, the dog don't know shit about clicker training. It doesn't know anything, but it's going to understand a moment marker to help get through this out process. All right. Yep. That's, one of, that's um, one of the biggest that makes places. Sense. For a dog yep. that knows nothing, that's where we're going to go with it. Right. And on our Patreon account, we did, we put up a video of me showing a dog, showing guys how to, to using um, negative reinforcement, a marker and positive reinforcement, how to get the dog to go from being a dickhead. He's on a table to outing um, from a, a prong collar and then to an e-collar. And at the end of each one of those collars, zero pressure at all, just out right. and, and do it with enthusiasm. Um and that the marker was a big part of that. Um, so the other big thing that <clears throat> that we, Ted and I, and at our HRD seminars that we're real big on, and I have always been in all my training, and um, and uh, Ted is too, is in uh, the importance and strength in being environmentally sound. Have you used a marker to assist in a dog in learning? how to overcome maybe a little bit of some fear issues on some floors and dark rooms and elevated areas and things that may be wonky or you're teaching them? Um, uh, okay, let's be honest. If we have a dog like that, we have to really decide, is it going to go further in our service work, right? You know, we can, uh, right. can we put, can we help a dog through? Yes, to a point. We're talking about police dog type of stuff. Uh, but for example, I, this is not a police dog. It's my beagle. When I started to do nose work with her, uh, when I got her a few years ago, I was using my boxes, right? They were on the side. They had a hole in it. And I was teaching to go put her head in. And I kept saying, well, I better, you know, I don't know. Her head may be too small. She may get it caught in. And, of course, I was drinking some vodka. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm not going to worry about it. So I'm working her with a clicker. She's putting her head in, coming back out, click food. About the 10th rep, she got her head fucking stuck. Like, after I got her head out, she's like, I'm not going near that fucking box ever again. Like, that was done. <laughs> um, so I said, okay, I, I guess we're done doing nose work, and you'll just go back to being my beer drinking buddy. But one day I said, you know what? Let me see if I can repair this. And and uh, I, I already told myself if I do detection or nose work with her, I'll change the system so she don't get her head caught in something. But I, I built her back up competently enough to go put her nose back in, you know, using the clicker, using successive approximation, the dog has to be motivated or you're not going to make it happen. But yeah, slick floors, anything environmentally, you know, using a loading through the clicker and a super high reward history. And I don't think a lot of people understand what a high reward history is when we're using food. You know, people come to training with three or four milk bone dog biscuits. I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do with that? You know, I'm talking about going through 30, 40, 50 pieces of food in a four-minute period with a secondary right. reinforcer. So can, can we help dogs with environmental problems, 
100%. We do it all the time with pet dogs. We do it with, you know, working dogs. Um, but once again, that being said, disclaimer, I'm not going to throw a dog on the street that has a big problem with something. And and you guys wouldn't either. So. Right. Would you use it then? Um, I... I mean, and I know the answer to this, we can get into a little bit. When you have, when you're getting, you get a young dog um, that's going to start doing some police dog training stuff and you can tell he's never seen any of that stuff. He's never seen open graded metal steps or, or definitely not dark rooms and things like that. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, just once again, I call it loading behavior, which all I'm doing is using food, Conditioning the dog, desensitizing the dog, but a super high reward history of like a, a moment marker and food at a probably four to five second interval, which is a huge a lo- lot of, you know, reward history and getting the dog to overcome whatever it is, you know, slick floor, grates, open staircases, uh, high places, low places, getting up on to a, a loading dock, getting up onto, um, you know, a forklift, anything like that. Do you prefer to use the dog's own food or you tried to go even higher value than that? As far as, you mean as far as reward? Yes. Um, when you say higher value, as far as like going to a prey item or a decoy? No, no. Um, so I, I prefer if I can to use um, the dog's own food for the rewarding that we're talking about you know, high loads of, of food reward. But there are other trainers I've talked to that said they prefer if they're doing that to use maybe a bill jack or something else that might be of more higher value food wise than the dog's own food. I was trying to get your oh, opinion. Okay, on I got that. You. I, no, great question. L- listen, there, dogs come in all different types, right? I, I'm fortunate enough that my dogs, a rock to them is as good as a piece of steak. They don't give a fuck. Their food drive is super high. I can use kibble for all my dogs. They work for their their kibble. Now, that being said, I do use Bill Jack in my training, not because they like it better. It's because I can roll it kind of bigger and it, it's better for me to handle. But that is their food. Like my, my young dog right now, he's living on Bill Jack, basically, in his training. If you have a dog that is not as food motivated yeah, you can try that shit where it's a higher value reward, but fuck that. How about use deprivation and only feed the dog during training? Like, people don't understand how that shit works. When I talk about deprivation, I'm not really saying starve the dog. I'm just saying his daily rations, give him that in training, man. You know, if you got to cut back a little, cut back. What dog can't lose a pound? Fuck, what human can't lose a pound? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad right? you I'm, I'm glad you Ted, cleared that out because our, our buddy what ted can't lose any weight if you've seen oh, him. <laughs> i drink so much fucking beer. i drink so much beer and eat tacos it's not don't you don't worry about me but well, i'm glad you cleared up <laughs> you would hate feed, him if you were uh, around him the feed the dog thing because uh our buddy rigney has some shit going on and with uh some trainers starving dogs and not using food reward correctly that's an entirely different conversation but um yeah. eric eric what were you gonna ask him so um <clears throat> A, a term that we, that you know, and Ted and I, and, and some of the trainers on here at Handlers understand and know, is successive approximation. But I guarantee you, the majority of people listening to this, especially canine guys that learn from older canine guys, 
have no idea what you're talking about. Can you can you define successive approximations and give a couple of examples on how you use it teaching the dog certain things? Yeah, so th the first thing is you have to understand pre-shaping before you understand successive approximation. And, um, you know, something really cool that, that I do, um, and I know Subtle does it too, using the chicken seminars to help with, with people especially the handlers, you know, understand how to use this type of training. I had a, a bunch of cops come over from LA or from San Diego. And, uh, we used, we were doing, using chickens the first couple of days and they love that stuff, understanding free shaping. So free shaping, the first thing you have to understand when you free shape, which I don't do a lot of, but I understand it. You know, when we're dealing with uh, different animal species, you have to understand it. You have to create an environment that's traction free. First of all, you have to control the past, present, and the future of the animal, which means that they are in deprivation. Deprivation does not mean starving. All it means is I'm controlling all their resources, right? Then we're going to put them in an environment that's um, pr productive for learning, which means no distractions, a room with nothing. Let's say we're getting the dog to sit. Well, free shaping means we're going to sit and wait around for the dog to sit. We may wait one minute, we may wait one hour, we may wait two days, right? That's free shaping. If we take successive approximation and we say, what's that? Okay, if we want the dog to do a behavior, we're gonna break down the behavior. Let's say it's going to put its nose in a PVC pipe that has odor in it. The dog's standing there, maybe he just starts by looking at the pipe. Click, reward. He looks again, click reward. Then he takes a step closer to the pipe, click reward. Then two steps closer to the pipe, click reward. Three steps all the way till they get maybe all the way to the pipe, the PVC pipe, and put their nose in it, then click and reward. So it's breaking down a behavior into small, minute pieces. And, you know, it's kind of the hot and cold game, right? But uh, they're real, we're not telling the dog cold. We're just using the clicker as you're hot, getting hotter. And as the dog increases its activity, it's going to get closer to the behavior. But it's very, you know, that's the thing. If you have a dog and you start them, like you, like, uh, you guys do with the young puppies, they can do that stuff really easy. There's so many dogs that I've seen come over from Europe that were adults that maybe were, you know, had a little rough go at their first part of life being an IPO dog with shitty training that their mind is closed. And if you try to shape them or use any type of approximation training, they just freeze. They're like, we don't even know what the fuck to do. We're scared to even make a movement that we're going to get our ass beat. You know, that happens all the time. Um, but yeah, uh -huh. successive approximation, you know, is just trying to get the dog to make small incremental steps towards the behavior, clicking and reward each step and building off of that. That's a good de definition. I define it pretty well. Um, I think a lot of guys try to uh, throw the dog in the deep end of the pool and just make them swim. And uh, right. I'm sure some of them can do it. It works with some dogs. But when you have the dog that that needs to learn a little bit differently, especially young dogs like puppies and stuff or, or teenage dogs, as I call them, or adolescents, you know, that are in that five- and six-month-old range that you're trying to build up um, – once, you know, teaching them how to learn 
and, and understanding how they learn the, with the success of approximation, you can, you can teach that dog a lot of stuff and it actually builds confidence in the dog. They start to figure out quickly, start to learn faster at a very super high rate of speed. And it's all through the success of approximation marker and reward. And, um, I think a lot of folks just think that we need to use more compulsion in police dog training than we need to, uh, the old yanking crank theory. And again, like I said in the beginning of this, and I've talked about it in other episodes, that's how I was taught in the very beginning. And, oh, so um, I, for sure, you know. No, me too. Right. And I got that's tired how, of getting bit. Yep, and that's how, <laughs> right, that's how I did it for a while. And um, the thing that changed me was, you know, my old department, they used to let us do like 12 or 14 week long canine classes. They were green dog, green handler, or most of them were, or green dog uh, experience handler. But we were still at week 10, closing the gate when we were going to do off-leash obedience because right, right. Um, we thought the dog might <laughs> the run away. The minute they opening, they're fucking gone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we would close the gate and block it with a cruiser. And the dogs would run. We'd let them go, and you'd make that first – you, you know, forward with your dog, you're going forward, and the, and the trainer says, right turn. Everybody turns right, and two of those motherfuckers keep going straight. And then it's just freedom. Dog's running away with his double middle finger. And so I started really studying and looking into this can't be the way. I mean, this can't be right. the way that we do this. And next thing you know, through, through a different reward system and marker um, and um, timing and reps, we were getting the dogs completely off leash in week two with a lot of fun, no yawning on the obedience field, no, you know, right. shaking when you go out there on the obedience field, dogs enjoying it, doing it faster, wanting to do it more, and um, so much less conflict. Like, yep. uh, like Ted said, we get tired of getting bit over bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not real big on getting bit. I don't like fighting with dogs as a handler if I don't have to. <laughs> I mean, most right. of my most of my personal dogs. Listen, we we can bring up a whole nother to topic: handler aggressive. Do my dogs have the potential of being handler aggressive? You bet your ass. Are they? Nope. And you know they'll take a correction right. from me because their life isn't based on that. If they get corrected, they honestly you can see it. They're like, yeah, pop, you fucking busted me. You know, like. It, the corrections are very few far between when I do it, you know, it's a swift hammer that comes down, but, um, and recognizing that, you know, it, it was a, a mistake because you weren't thinking correctly or focusing, but it was a disobedient thing, right? It wasn't, uh, um, uh, an unclear piece of training, but you're creating a totally different animal when you do this way. And, and once again, I'm not, you know, I use electric, man. I tell, I barely even oh, use yeah. pinch collars. I use electric. That's my main tool for most of my stuff. I use it a little bit differently, not only for avoidance punishment, but also command amplification, activation, even drive building. But I've got this little, you know, eight, eight nine month old shepherd that I just got his training. There is no leash. I've trained him in a complete controlled environment. He works for his meals every day. And believe me, he's going to be a little strong son of a bitch in about, you know, five, six months. And I want him to understand, listen, you're in charge of your destiny, buddy. You're a crackhead. I've got the crack. 
It's that fucking simple. Once you understand how your life is going to work with me owning the crack and you're the crackhead, we're going to have an easy life. And if you watched me with all my young dogs, you wouldn't really know. I mean, you, you would know if you were watching me what his future would be, but you wouldn't be able to tell really what I was going to go do with him. You wouldn't know if he was going to be a police dog, IPO, ring, obedience. All you would see is me doing all these little things to teach how to learn. Once he knows how to learn, man, shit is going to go so fucking quick, it's unbelievable. And and I want to make sure everybody understands when I'm I'm talking about uh, what the things I was saying earlier. I'm not talking about just all this pure positive like we were mentioned earlier. Um, but when you when you change up that system like we're talking, the punishments when they come are swift but fair. Um, I found the old days with the yank and crank on just a choke chain that a lot of it was not fair, and a lot of it was because. Um, of us green new handlers not really knowing how, how to do a, a, a correction appropriately. Right. Uh, there's a lot of guys that stay on that tightness on the leash on those choke chains and, you know, and dogs will F you up to get away from that. Um, yep. So, you know, we would do, we would do literally an hour of obedience and at the end of the, with no reward in between, except for a good, that was it. Um, they called it <laughs> signal <boy>. pressure, <laughs> right? Signal pressure praise. The signal was uh, maybe a heel pressure was always a pop of the leash. Good boy, and then and then you keep walking, and then at the very end of the hour long session, we would all get split up and go into different corners of the field and play ball with the dog. Right. They said, Give "I'm like, what calm. are we doing that for?" <laughs> and they're like, "That's that's the reward." I'm like, I. I'm new at this, but I think we're rewarding them for walking over to the corner. Honestly. Right. right. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so, so now since we're on but a you podcast, know, that, that, um, that still exists, you know, but I, we can't be mad. That's part of the, you know, that's the machine, right? That's the machine. We're dealing with time frames. We're dealing with budgets. We're dealing with, um, you know, a lot of agencies like we they're just say we don't have the time to bring somebody in. We don't have the budget for it or, or you know, maybe just what's the status quo of, of you know, your typical law enforcement dog? OK, you know, we, we found some dope and that's about it. Why do we have to learn any more? I, you know, everything's working. But um, that's the cool thing about being involved in sport. I like I need to beat the next fucking guy. You know, like I've got to beat whoever, you know, the guy that's getting it, putting it together better than I'm putting it together. So I got to go, what the fuck is he doing that I can get learned from? You know, I'm always trying to push the envelope and get better and figure shit out. And now with the new so, rules, of um, sport, you know, you can't show pressure. Yeah. Well, that's been, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. And that, that was a good move on the sport because it made us go, OK, well, how the fuck are we going to get reliability, you know, but still have happy ass dogs. Well, you better be start thinking, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's always ways to figure that out. Uh, good trainers are very um, ingenuitous, I should say, if that's even the right word. I don't know. Um, so because we're on a podcast and, and uh, we want to talk about your podcast, um, I think what we're – some of the stuff we're talking about tonight was a little bit of drinking from a fire hose for some folks, and hopefully they'll just keep, you know, 
rewinding this and get over and over again. Yeah, but we um, a lot of let's talk about your podcast a little bit. Your your podcast is a little bit different. It it is a pay to play. It's not expensive, but um, well, actually, I am told- the the, pod, the the podcast comes with my subscription to my video subscriptions. Ah, okay. So if okay. yeah, if you're a gold subscriber, which you get all the every video that I have, which is over 400 videos on any topic you can think of, then you get the podcast. Oh. Right, which is pretty. It's you know, it's a it's whatever. I usually get drunk. I, I basically how you guys start your podcast. Podcast, yep. you know, I, I tell what I'm doing. I give the calendar. We talk a little bit about training, and then I do. I close with my what I call Facebook rants, which I <laughs> pretty amazing, <laughs> pretty amazing <laughs> posts and and we and talk about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's so, talk about your website. Talk about all that real quick. Um, and I had a, a couple questions about your podcast. So go ahead. Um, I think I just did. So <laughs> the website cool. is pretty oh. simple. It's like, like it's the like, website. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like Netflix. Well, there's a lot on it. That's for free. You know, I've got rule books on there for free commands in different languages for free. Um, I've got tons of videos for free. I do a free video Friday for social media which I give a little training tip out most Fridays. Um, and we have a paid subscription. It's like Netflix, where there's a basic package, $7.99 a month. The gold package is $9.99 a month. You get all the cool videos, the real heavy stuff, you know, stop the tax, all this really cool stuff. Um, every video that's on the website, all my competition videos and the, uh, the podcast, which I do every couple of weeks, sometimes have a guest on it. Um, and it's just, it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> I, I'm not holding anything back on the the gold podcast. Yeah, and online, unlike this one, uh, this one's available on iTunes and Google Play and all kinds of places. Yours is exclusively available on uh, your website, which is Dave Croyer spelled out dot com. C or sorry, K R O Y E R dot com. Will uh, I'll have Alicia put all that shit in the show notes. So. Uh, when it pops up, you'll be able to click the link straight from there. But it takes you straight to the website. Yep. It's got um, all your uh, workshop stuff. It has a link for the podcast. Um, it's got your resume on there, which is pretty lengthy. Um, it's got pretty much every way, avenue of contact, and all that kind of stuff on there. So everybody, and there's check a, by it out. the way, we just we just did add a. Um, you can now there's a seven day free trial. So if you want to check oh, it out for seven days, awesome. man, you go right to the gold package, and you can hear some of the po- podcasts. Stuff and watch any video on any fucking topic lectures on everything we talked about tonight anything about targeting the table we talked anything that we talked about tonight is probably there's a video on it so excellent how, how many episodes you have up there right now should be about 21 yeah i think you just published one on the 21 yeah yeah so it looks like yeah. i think there's one most one the most so you sign up that's the, yeah. that's a lot of listening to do <laughs> yeah, they're they're only about a half hour, maybe forty minutes. But there's some funny shit, man. Like some of these Facebook posts, and what I do is I I got a lot of people sending me this stuff. Like there'll be a post from a, a you know a Husky group or a Malamute group, and this is no bullshit. I gotta tell this story because it's well. Can I tell the story? Well, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. Sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. So there was a there was a post from this woman in a Malamute group. She said. I, uh, please help me out. I have a problem. My dog is eating socks that my husband ejaculates in and leaves them on the ground. Oh my my dog is 
my dog is eating the socks and pooping them out. And she put this on this book. I'm like, I, what world do we <laughs> fucking live in now? <laughs> and she yes. got a picture of this sock that the of dog course, uh, Of course she out. did. Of course she did. <laughs> Of course you did. So, Why wouldn't yeah, you? Oh, I mean, my God. Yeah. It's not relevant without that because you got to know what kind, right? Yeah. So, yeah and these gotta, are all, re- you know, yeah, it's real. Like, you, <laughs> like, fuck me. you know, we think that the police dog stuff or the, the sport dog groups are funny. No, man. I sit there and troll, like, uh, you know, groups of just pet dog stuff. Holy shit, man. Let's see. We got, you know, condoms being eaten. What else do oh, we have? Oh, we got tons of, of fun. But it's a different world we're in, man. It's like, wow, I can't, you know, like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, I'm lost. <laughs> uh, it's, it's twenty, it's twenty twenty, and there people think yeah. the world is flat. We didn't land on the moon, and Epstein hung himself. So, I guess yeah. anything's possible. So, right. um, <laughs> so uh, we have a um, Dave. You and I have a mutual friend, our buddy Jake Scott. Um, yep. Jake is a Mondial Ring competitor and decoy, although he's retiring from the decoy work because his brittle French bones can't also. take it. Yeah, he's oh, yes, and French Ring decoy. Um, he has a lot of, you know, um, amazing things to say about you. So th- you and Ted have something in common. Uh, I want to talk about that real quick. Is He says, Jake says that you're at a pretty elite level uh, mountain bike competitor. Is that true? Um, I've been known to do some riding, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dabble. Ted, Ted himself was a pretty high-level competitive biker yeah, at, at any cool. time. Yeah, yeah. Back so in the road, day. Road Ted, I can't remember. Were you a road? Yeah, road, not mountain. Road? But, yeah. Yep. I, my I do, specialty I do was time trials, but yeah. My, yeah. So, road actually, before this, before this call, well, maybe around 3 o'clock, I was on a little bit of a road ride. So I cross train, I do enduro and downhill and, and I free ride, I even BMX, but um, I cross train on the road and our season is starting actually right now at the Southern Enduro um, tour takes us through the beginning of summer. We got about seven races coming up from Texas through Oklahoma all the way up to Arkansas. So yeah, I, I ride a lot. I ride probably four or five times a week. Um, Road ride to, you know, supplement it and in in the gym a few times a week, too. Excellent. What what costs more money, dogs or bikes? Ooh. Oh, man. I, yeah, if you ask my wife, she'll say the bikes. But, you know, a dog going <laughs> to a vet could really be, be you know, you know that a bike can easily be 10 to 15 grand in a heartbeat. Uh, but, yeah. Um, Oh my God! Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. plus maintenance on. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I, mean, now I know why Ted used too. to be a bicyclist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bikes. Uh, yeah, bikes are not cheap, bro. <laughs> not, no, no, I've got. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is now, you know, like I, I guess my truck is a 2014, but um, when I have my two race bikes going to a race on the back, the bikes are now worth more than the truck. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no, no. That, I, I have been there. I have been there, played that game, for sure. Driving around in a fucking '96 Honda with a six thousand dollar bike on top, and people are like, "What?" Yep. <laughs> yeah, no. Believe me, I've been there. 
Uh, so we can get you at DaveCroyer.com. Uh, I think you got a Facebook page too. It's like Dave Croyer TV, right? On Facebook. Uh, yeah, I've got my personal page, which I, I try not to put a lot of dog stuff on there. I keep it for mountain biking and football and Green Bay Packers shit. But my business right. page is DKA TV, Dave Croyer DKA TV. And then we have a private page for uh, subscribers that can we can talk about dog training, and if, if you irritate me, I boot you the fuck out. So, <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> you're on the Instagram too uh, at Dave Croyer, spelled out um, on Instagram. Um, I see you yep. got a new picture of your bike up there. Uh, so <laughs> um, that's uh, yeah, uh, Eric. Speaking of which, where are you on the Instagrams? Uh, I am on Vanis Canine on uh, Instagram and um, Van S Canine Academy on Facebook. And if you like pictures of cute little dogs, Van S Doggy Daycare, the daycare girls put up some pretty cool stuff on the Van S Doggy Daycare page. Um, anymore, my, the Facebook page for Van S Canine has been more towards the pet side. And I, I keep most of the working dog and police stuff, not all, most of it still on the Instagram page and, and stuff from here. How, what about you? I am on the Instagrams at Ted underscore Summers, uh, and then Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine, is the kennel page. Uh, both of those are work-related. Um, and then, we, of course, the podcast has the one, uh, underscore working, underscore dog, radio, uh, underscore radio, um, is the one for Instagram. And that one's where we do a lot of the contests. We just gave out a bunch of doctor shit. We gave away a collar. I, in fact, i got to ship that out tomorrow. Um, to we gave a collar and something else. Oh, uh, ball popper too. Doctor gave us a ton of shit to give away. Um, awesome. Oh stuff. yeah, I'm gonna make one tonight. No, it's true. Yeah. Oh, we gave away the star handler one. That's right. I forgot about that. We gave away, and that's the one I got to ship out. Uh, that was uh, what was that thing? That was the Dogtra. Um, that was the Pathfinder. Yeah, the, Pathfinder. the GPS e collar. Yeah, we had that one. Uh, Ooh, that was legit yeah, as that, shit, that, buddy. That was an that was an yeah. Instagram only, or that was a search and rescue handler only contest. Um, but yeah, so we've got I don't know I, my living room. I've got like I don't know ten or fifteen things in there now. I got like six thousand dollars worth of shit in there <laughs> to give away. So <laughs> Doctor hooked us up. So uh, if you want free Doctor shit, join us on Instagram and Facebook because we'll give it away. That's how we give it away. Eric and I come up with and Alicia come up with stuff to give away. Uh, but yeah, that's how we do it. Um, and then the Patreon page, um, th this a conversation kind of gave me um, an idea for some of our Patreon members. Um, I've got a green dog getting ready to start um, that I know has had no marker training at all. Um, I always kind of do it. I don't do it like structured like. Um, so I think for everybody listening, I'm going to video me running through the process with a green dog um, and kind of how I start him training. Um, and like Dave mentioned, because of time, I don't do... Uh, marker training per se with a clicker and a word on detection training. We either use poppers or I use Dutch boxes. Um, but, and then moving them off, I move them into a mark. But um, I think um, I have a pretty good idea on a series of videos I can do for everybody on Patreon, which is at patreon.com. Um, if you just search for Working Dog Radio, it's me and Eric talking about stuff from the podcast has videos. Uh, we run special contests for Patreon members. Oh, we just got a new patch and I forgot about that too. Damn, but a lot of shit's happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we got a new patch in for all our Patreon members. Alicia's we got a badass shirt coming out, too. Oh, damn, I forgot about that one, too. 
Yeah. Okay. So we have a lot of cool stuff happening yeah. <laughs> after we get back from after we get back from Memphis. I have to redo the PowerPoint from Memphis. So I've been focused. When on the whole thing started, it sounded like you had nothing going on. Now you well, yeah. I'm shit. I got any patches right. and fucking t-shirts, and I'm gonna do a video series now. Fuck. I got myself all signed up for all kinds of stuff. So new patch for Patreon members. We got a new shirt coming out. I forgot about that. Uh, and then we're giving away a bunch of doctor shit. So yeah, um, doctor, one of our great sponsors. Love those guys. So, um, Dave, this conversation has been fantastic. Like I said, and or like Eric said, this is probably drinking for a fire hose from a lot of people. Um, I anticipate a lot of questions from this. So, um, I think, uh, the easiest thing to do is to kind of listen to this a couple times and then kind of do some, uh, research on your own and then shoot Eric and I a question, um, or Dave, a question, uh, either email, Instagram, Facebook, however you feel like you want to get a hold of us. Uh, and we will do our best to answer it. Uh, for those people that have asked recently about all the case law update stuff that I send out, I sent out like like 30 of those emails the other day. So everybody should have gotten those. But yeah, Dave, we appreciate it, man. It's been awesome. Thank you guys, man. Love, love being here with you. Good questions, good conversation. You know, I'm yeah. happy to talk about it anytime. Excellent. We appreciate it. Eric, awesome. Thank you, guys. I will see you in a couple weeks a in Memphis. Night. All right. See ya. One of the groups that's been with us since the beginning are the guys from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, that also host the Bravo 3 Conference. Uh, that is Tripwire Operations Group. They have tons of stuff that goes boom. And they are a fantastic training facility for explosives and training of everything related to it for America's first responders, not just for police and military, but also for first responders. So head over to tripwireops.com to hit them up and see what classes they got going on. Um, and then be sure to come and see Eric and I at Bravo 3 this year in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in October. So our very first sponsor on the podcast was Arno out at uh, ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. Uh, the other day on a Facebook group, uh, somebody asked on there, what's what's the best hidden sleeve on the market? Uh, without a doubt, it is ALM's hidden sleeve. There's probably 10, 15 people on that post and they got in there, ALM, ALM, ALM. It is so easy. His stuff is so good. Arno's a good dude, man. If you get a hold of him, that's the guy answering the phone. That's the guy doing all the work. ALMK9Equipment.com. I have a suit from there. Best tugs on the market. Not even close. The best tugs on the market and the best hidden sleeve. Hit up Arno, ALMK9Equipment.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO. That's all capitals for 10% off your first order. You know, one of the things about this podcast that everybody mentions that they love is the intro and exit music. And it was kind of a uh, big deal when we started the podcast to have that. And I want to say thank you personally to Brother Deeg, um, who is the artist and has graciously allowed us to use this music. And everybody be sure to head over to Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net, uh, buy a t-shirt or go to Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever and stream his music or go and buy some. Um, he's on tour all the time. He plays Tulsa frequently. Um, I love to see him when he's here. Uh, fantastically talented artist from Louisiana uh, and has graciously allowed us to use his music. So enjoy it. Download more of it. Um, Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Go hit him up, guys. Thanks. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old. 
Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.